0: This market specialist was able to tell me the absolute lowest rent they've ever rented in a particular neighborhood within a certain parameter. And that number was great. It was within $50 of what they were telling me. And even if I got the lowest number, that'd be a great return, terrific results. And then the other thing about having people applying and teed up and lined up to rent your properties right away, just because that marketplace is so huge and so many people, that that just gives you a sense of confidence that
1: you're going to have a very good cash flowing property without a great deal of risk that it's going to sit vacant for a month or two months and that sort of thing.
0: tenants and been involved in thousands of real estate transactions. This program will help you follow in Jason's footsteps on the road to your financial independence day. You really can do it. And now, here's your host, Jason Hartman, with the complete solution for real estate investors.
1: Welcome to episode 12331233. And greetings again from Copenhagen, Denmark. We have a fantastic episode lined up for you today, so let's listen in. It's my pleasure to welcome Ramana King to the show. She is an award-winning real estate writer for Inman and Realtor.com, and she's director of Zolo. Ramana, how are you?
0: I'm great. Director of content. I'm not head of Zola.
1: <laughs> Sorry about that. But I, okay, I, I'm giving you a promotion. Hey.
0: I, I love it. I love it already. <laughs>
1: yeah, there you go. So you are coming to us from one of the biggest bubble markets on the planet, Vancouver, one of my favorite cities.
0: <laughs> yes, we're very bubbly over here. We've certainly been waiting for the correction for quite some time. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's certainly good to see from a real estate investment perspective, that it's starting to make more sense in Vancouver.
1: Yeah. So how much correction have you had off the peak? I mean, was your peak about two years ago, maybe?
0: Yes, our peak was about two years ago. We experienced a bit of a run-up towards the end of 2017 because of some regulation that was coming in in january 1st 2018 and then it's fallen precipitously off the cliff like we just took a dive wow. and we've noticed certain areas have had a price reduction of about 40 wow. percent sales activities yes wow. <laughs> sales activities down in the double digits that said we have to understand how vastly overpriced it was and how Mm -hmm. there were certain entities within the market i mean if people follow stock markets they understand what a market maker is a market maker is that you know massive sovereign wealth fund or the massive pension fund that comes in doesn't really mind if they're going to pay an inflated price for something because they're going to hold it long term well we had market makers in vancouver which were money launderers and foreign buyer money Mm They really didn't care the price and they really drove up pricing. So to have it correct is good.
1: Yeah, it is. It's healthy to have a correction and and have legitimate price discovery, obviously. So a 40% correction already. Do you think you're done with the correction or is there still uh, more downside to come?
0: I think we're done. I think the downside is only going to come if we see interest rates hike up quite a bit in a short period of time. Mm -hmm. I think we can absorb incremental soft interest rate hikes. And we already know that 2019 is looking very soft. We don't think there's going to be any more hikes this year in Mm -hmm. Canada, let alone the US. The US drives our market a little bit. We're very aligned with it. So I don't think there's going to be much more of a correction, if at all. And the 40% is only in certain very inflated markets, which were the luxury markets and the higher end um, real estate investment Mm -hmm. properties. The other areas have not had so much of a correction. Maybe it's between 20, 10 and 20%. Mm-hmm. And in some areas, it's actually still quite hot. Yeah. Uh, the lower price bands are quite hot. And of course, the lower price bands are the smaller real estate investors or the condos, the assignment, you pre-purchase condos assignment. They're still quite hot in the area. So we're not, it's not even across the board.
1: Mm-hmm. So I profiled a property. And by the way, listeners, we're not just going to talk about Canada, uh, no, just no. Since, since she happened <laughs> To be located in uh, one of the biggest bubble markets on on the planet, that's why it makes sense to kind of talk about it. A forty percent decline. This is you know Vancouver highly cyclical market. This is why I like these good conservative, solid, linear markets that are really quite boring. They don't get much attention from the media because hey, there's not much to talk about. They just sort of chug along and do their thing. But you say luxury homes, I just have to comment. You you say, well, in the luxury home price band, well, I profiled a a property in Vancouver, maybe two years ago, a year and a half ago on the show here, it was two and a half million dollars. And it was a complete shack. I mean, it was a total shack. And then interestingly, I just saw a property that looked quite similar to it in San Francisco. And I thought deja vu all over again.
0: <laughs> well, it's a great reminder that, you know, I, I'm intimately aware of the whole cycle of, a, of land and housing. And a lot of people don't understand. And I think investors have a much better comprehension of this. But a lot of people don't understand that when they purchase a property, the value isn't in the property. It's in the land. Yes. So really,
1: Oh, thank you. You actually yeah. realize that. Do you know... It took me 19 years to discover that. And out of that discovery, I invented something I call the Hartman Risk Evaluator. Oh. And I coined a phrase called, I mean, we've all heard of the LTV ratio, the loan to value ratio. Well, I, I created one called the LTI ratio, the land to improvement ratio. Oh, that's excellent! Yeah, so so the value of the improvement, the house sitting on the land, and then the land—you know—people don't realize that, Ramana. When you buy a property, you're buying two distinct components. Yes. And I'm so glad you said that, listeners. She's brilliant. Okay, go ahead. Tell us more about that. (laughs) Well,
0: I often talk to people, particularly investors, and say, you know, when you're you're purchasing, you need to understand which one is bringing value. Mm -hmm. If you're purchasing property, and if you're a smaller investor, you maybe have a couple of doors. And you're looking at, say, how a lot of people purchase houses here and they divide them up into multiple units. Mm -hmm. You want to make sure that that house, you don't have to dump a lot of money into it to create that multiple unit and the cash flow there. And if you're purchasing something to, say, rip down and and build up again – What's the maximum value you can put on that land to get the most money back for your, your dollars? Mm-hmm. So really, you have to look at the land, and then you have to look at the property independently mm-hmm. and understand what value you can bring to it and what cash flow you need in order to maximize that value. Right. A lot of the times when we look at these shacks, I mean, they're often profiled, whether they're in San Francisco or Vancouver. The, when the, look the
1: multi-million dollar shacks, yeah.
0: If they panned out, you would often see phenomenal houses or mixed use development right beside this shack and what it is it's the last on the block it Mm -hmm. hasn't been gentrified it hasn't been redeveloped yet it really is a steal if you've got the cash flow in order to make it happen
1: yeah yeah but you've got to have a lot of staying power to see that investment through a cycle and that's where most people fail. You know, this is not for small players. You got to have significant reserves and budget that into the deal. You know, you, you have to budget for that. So absolutely. Okay, so one more thing I want to ask you about Canada, then I want to move on to the, the some broader subjects. But tell us about the, your financing there. Do you have 30-year fixed-rate mortgages? And what are well, the approximate interest rates? See, I always talk about how the U.S. I mean, I've been to 83 countries and I've looked at real estate investing all around the world. I've been out with brokers in Eastern Europe, Western Europe, South America, Central America, just like everywhere. The U.S. is a really unique market because we we have this system where properties are subsidized by the government through Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And if you're a a U.S. citizen and you're complaining about welfare and Robin Hood, take from the rich, give to the poor. Well, listen, get some subsidies of your own. Just go out and buy some properties and get some loans because those are your subsidies.
0: (laughs) It really is unique. I mean, we do not have that in Canada. We do have help for someone who wants to buy a house. So instead of putting down, we all know that conventional mortgage, you save up 20%, you put that down, you buy the home. In Canada, if you can't save up the 20%, the government will help. So that's the only sort of subsidy will provide okay. it's okay. not like america though we don't have quotas that have to be met in order for people to buy homes and i, I found that quite interesting and unique when i was looking at the 2008-2009 credit crunch and what happened in america with housing and how the bottom sort of fell out because we didn't understand those loans you know it was all pushing and running towards these quotas that Freddie and fannie Mac had in order to try and get people into homes as homeowners we don't have that in canada if it drops We might tweak our regulations but really it's up to the buyer if Mm -hmm. you haven't saved you're not getting in we do have a different mortgage system as well in america i believe that you'll go in and you have points added so the rate that you see is the lowest possible rate and then if you don't make that rate you're going to have points added and then all of a sudden the rate starts going up and in canada it's slightly different we have the lowest rate possible and then if you go in you can actually sometimes get lower than posted or lower than the discount because you've Mm -hmm. got great credit you 'll get higher so it really is but our mortgages take maybe three to five days to finalize mm-hmm. i've heard of people waiting three months in America so oh, sure yeah vastly different I mean they're different beasts. The one thing I really like about how the American mortgage system is structured and I, I might get beaten with a bad stick here in Canada for <laughs> saying this, but I like the fact that you 've made it a tax advantage mm-hmm. so those thirty year mortgages they look really attractive when you can get great rates because I'm going to be able to deduct the interest on that mortgage for the next thirty years so as an investor. Fabulous! I'm going to really be able to leverage. Right. Yeah, invest. can't do that in Canada. You can if it's an investment property, but there are some disadvantages. There are ways for us to make it tax advantage to us, but we really have to learn the system and really mm-hmm. be, you know, tax savvy and mortgage savvy and, mm-hmm. and just debt savvy. so
1: okay. It's a lot
0: harder. So in Canada and in America, it is quite different.
1: Mm-hmm. How long are your loans? Do they reset? I mean, my first long distance relationship ever. I had a girlfriend who lived in Vancouver, oh. and um. You know, this was a long time ago, though, and she told me that the loans, you know, her dad was a developer, and so she knew about real estate. The loans only lasted five years, and then they had to be renegotiated every five years.
0: See, five years is the typical term. Most people like it because it's it's the best price point. It's the most amount of security with the least amount of premium. Mm -hmm. You can get one year, you can get six months. Really, it's five years, seven years. Ten years is quite unusual unless you're an investor.
1: Okay. So five to seven years, would it stay fixed for that long?
0: If you get a fixed rate mortgage. So we have different types of, we have a fixed rate. I can lock in for those five to seven years or I can get variable. I'm Mm -hmm. going to watch the rates rise, if they rise or fall, and I will supposedly get rewarded or penalized based on that. So in the next five years, if I have a variable rate and rates go up, either a percentage of my my mortgage payment is going to go more to the interest payment or my my actual monthly payment is going to rise it depends on what i've negotiated but really you can do it's locked in for that 5 to 7 years if i choose fixed if i try and break that mortgage i'm i'm going to pay a hefty penalty i'm going wow. to pay tens of thousands in order to get out yeah. if i have a variable rate for that 5 years i'm only going to pay 3 months interest that's it which is not that much
1: but that's still you don't have to do that in the U.S. at all. I, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's like, you know there are prepayment penalties occasionally, but they're pretty rare nowadays. So U.S. investors, you got a really unique real estate market. It's unique in all the world. It's uh, it's it's really cool that it's that way. I wanted to ask you one more thing about Canada. You talked about the market makers creating a bubble, and we have a similar thing here with these hedge funds and private equity groups that uh, have come into real estate markets and distorted values, and and then we have these. Uh, I think stupid opportunity zone things that are distorting values, and people are going to lose a lot of money okay i'm just that's yeah. my prediction i some people will make money certainly most of them will be the fund managers for these things and not the investors okay so you heard me say it folks that's just my opinion i could be wrong but you seem to agree with me any thoughts on that
0: yeah i have a tough time when it comes to what REITs mix you know mortgage investment corporations REITs the real estate funds that you know purchase a bunch of properties you buy shares on that I think the really well-capitalized, the ones that actually file the regulatory paperwork, the ones that have the paper trail, they have a track record, I think they're great because I'm not buying real property. I'm buying shares of people making decisions buying real property. So I have to really understand that I'm, I'm not the one that's making decisions. I'm a bricks-and-mortar person, but I do invest in the stock market. not so like I don't agree with that. But I do like bricks-and-mortar when it comes to real estate investments because I get a chance – to really do the fundamentals mm-hmm. and make the decisions based on those fundamentals, when it comes to buying shares and this stuff, I want to be really sure that I can it 's very transparent, and I understand how those people are making those yeah. decisions and
1: and, and, and it 's never really transparent you know um, I yeah. agree with you, I like being a direct investor that 's what we teach all our clients to do you know when you 're not a direct investor, you leave yourself susceptible to three major problems: number one, you might be investing with a crook. Number two, you might be investing with an idiot. (laughs) And assuming they're honest and competent, the third problem is they take a huge management fee off the top for managing the deal. And there's a lot of these management fees, you don't even know what their management fee is, because they're putting all kinds of expenses into the fund or the pool. You know, they're flying around on their private jet and, you know, having dinners, whining and dining other investors with your money. I mean, it's just... Just be a direct investor. You know, that's for, for my money. That's what you should do. But, but what was the regulation that came in? That, that Did they uh, stop those uh, funds and private equity groups or whatever from investing in that market and driving up prices? What happened?
0: With some of the federal budget changes, we actually didn't allow. Um, there was a tax advantage to being a mortgage investment corporation. You could flow through, and you can you can actually pool money and actually have some tax advantage. It was considered sort of a trust, um, and what the federal government came in and did is they they nixed that. They made it impossible for people to do it. You'd have to pay much higher taxes for that. So it became almost impossible to really make money in, in mortgage investment corporations, okay. and for that reason, the money dried up there, not in REITs, but in in mix. Okay, and I mean I. I used to have an investor that I spoke to all the time. He made gobs of cash doing this, mm-hmm. and was very angry when the regulations changed. And understandably, because yeah. he did, sure. and he was a good investor. He did yeah. well by his investors, but you know, tax systems change, tax regulations change. Right. Government realized they could make money by taxing these guys higher. Right.
1: Right. So they took the incentive away, the subsidy, and then the market wasn't so distorted. Yes. And so you had your big price adjustment. And here we are today. Talk to us about whatever you like, whatever you want to talk about. I mean, uh, there's quite a bit going on. Tell us just for a moment about uh, Zolo. Is that uh, some kind of new model in the real estate world?
0: Well, it's new in the real estate world. I mean, it's even fresher than say Zillow, and that was only around 2005, I believe. And considered-
1: Zillow and Zolo, not to be confused. Yeah.
0: Not to be confused, <laughs> Zillow, Trulia. Uh, so they're they're relatively new in this very old business. We came about in about 2012. It was a bunch of tech people that thought, you know what, real estate needs a shake up, and we weren't the only company in Canada to do that. We are the Canada's largest national brokerage. We have about six million people that start their home search or start their property
1: search on our site each month. And for a country with only about 35 million people or something, that's Not bad. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of market share. Yeah,
0: it's true. we have much smaller population. So that's a much bigger market share. Sure. Yeah. The great thing is, is that by looking at the real estate industry from a sort of a tech perspective, we thought this is an industry ripe for change. We know that people want more information, we want transparency. So we've been slowly behind the scenes working at providing more information. So that's what what our brokerage, because we have to play within the regulatory rules in Canada, you can't have MLS feed unless you're a brokerage we're a brokerage so that we can get that feed we take that feed and then we pump it out there to try and give as much information to investors buyers sellers as much as they can get so they can make
1: informed. what kind of information like uh, comparable sales past pricing history or You're, what kind of stuff
0: a lot of the stuff that I think Americans are really well accustomed to we're, so, we're just
1: used to it you didn't it's new to you right yeah, yeah it's new
0: to what we weren't allowed to do this and now mm-hmm. we are allowed to do this we were doing this a little bit behind the scenes and sort of gating it but you were getting the information from us. Now we can do it above board where Mm -hmm. everyone can sort of get it. But I mean, Zillow has this, and I keep mentioning Zillow just because that seems to be the the monster in the room Mm where everyone knows it. They provide the history. They provide the tax history. They provide, Mm -hmm. you know, the the sale history. They provide what they think the house should go for, whether it's going to, you know, what it's going to rent for. We weren't allowed to have this. We're now providing all of this information above board to all the investors and sellers and buyers out in Canada.
1: Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, Well, you know, welcome to 2005, Canada, <laughs> <laughs> we're a little
0: behind, but we're, we're keeping
1: we're, up. We, we, we love you guys, but we're always teasing you. You know,
0: very <laughs> about up here. What can yeah, I say? Yeah,
1: that's true. That's true. But hey, you didn't have a financial crisis like we did. Your banks were pretty sound through that. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> We're the reckless folks down here. Tell us about investors shopping for investment properties and, you know, just any tips on what investors should look for. I mean, of course, that's what our show's about. We have our own, but uh, would love to hear an outsider's view of that.
0: I think buying real estate is a lot like buying a home. So if you've ever bought a home, it's much the same principle, but remove the emotion mm-hmm. and add a lot more metrics, mm-hmm. right? Add yeah. a lot more data. Yeah. If I'm buying a place, whether it's an investment or home, I'm going to want a place that doesn't have a lot of crime. Well, I'm going to look at the crime stats. If you haven't looked at the crime stats and you're buying a place of any sort for any reason, you're really missing out. Why? You're never going to attract investors. You're never going to attract uh, renters. Your cash flow, if you've got a place in a um, an area where they have terrible crime rates.
1: I do want to put one caveat on that, though. And the caveat is, don't compare it. I mean, if you, you know, if you're upper middle class investor, like most of our clients, don't compare it to where you live, because it will never compare very well because no. uh, these little bread and butter rental properties are a lot cheaper than where you live. So, oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the only yes, wait. Right.
0: The caveat yeah. being is yeah. you really need to understand what kind of crime. So, yeah. the, don't, the- don't
1: expect zero crime in the best schools, okay? <laughs> you're just exactly. not going to get them in, in any property that makes sense. Yeah.
0: What you need is, a, is an area that, that allows you to be safe. So if you got property damage and vandalism, who cares? But yeah. if you've got you know assaults, violent assaults, those right. are things you care about, sure. and those are things you're going to avoid. Mm-hmm. And and you know it's pocket by pocket. You can have a pocket that's awesome for that, and a pocket that's not so great. Well, look at the awesome pocket. And I know lots of investors that did really well in Florida, mm-hmm. where they knew that there were certain pockets to avoid, but there were great pockets in between, and mm-hmm. they. It was easy to attract the investors or the renters because they knew that they were a great pocket even though they were surrounded by not so great pockets right 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 it's really about the, again adding the layers of metrics so you're looking at crime i look all, at
1: all real estate is local in fact it's hyper local yeah. hyper
0: local yeah. you can walk across a street you can walk across totally a different market vastly yeah. Different. Yeah. so I, another thing that i do is i say you know know the area if you can't walk it google map it mm-hmm. gosh i love google maps yeah it's amazing you can see everything now and you can really get a, a right. nice idea Starbucks factor—we call it Starbucks mm-hmm. factor—but it doesn't have to be Starbucks. Right. People look for pet stores because when you have pet stores, you have disposable income. Right. When you have disposable income. You're someone that wants a better value, a better type mm-hmm. of property. Look for parks. Look for dog parks. Mm-hmm. Again. Pets are a good idea, good idea of what Mm. kind of neighbors, what kind of people are going to be in that area. Schools, we all know that schools. Do you have an organic grocery store? Do you have a a farmer's Mm. market? These are things that we really say, hey, look for those things. But but
1: again, as you say all this stuff, you're moving up on the price scale. I mean, all those things are great, and those are the places I like to live, but you know, I always say invest in places that make sense so you can afford to live in places that don't make sense. I mean, where I live would not make sense as an investment. I like living here though.
0: But a lot of up and coming neighborhoods will do this organically. So Mm -hmm. you'll find areas where the community bands together and does a a farmer's market on the the Sunday
1: or community
0: fair on the Sunday and it becomes a regular thing. And quite often, those are the neighborhoods that quickly appreciate all of a sudden they're, super popular right and it's like well where did this come from well you know a, l- a hip-
1: lot of those are these kind of gentrifying hipster areas but yes. uh, you know i, I tell you gentrification is an interesting thing we've done shows on it over the years and it takes a long time it's a very slow process but
0: that's great for investors yeah. because if you're a buy and hold investor that has good cash flow positive cash flow month to month and you've done your metrics you get in you allow the community to develop around you, and then by the time you go to sell you know ten years from now you're in a great position because mm-hmm. you saw the trend before it was even taking off. And mm-hmm. so a lot of the people that we talk to, I mean, I, I have a bias. I think real estate is more of a buy and hold unless you're speculating. And you Couldn't agree
1: more. I, I'm not a speculator. Yeah.
0: And, and if you're flipping, it's an entirely different metric, but we look a lot of that. So that's why we talk about, you know, antique stores. I know that sounds funny, but a lot of the mom and pop antique stores that move into our neighborhood, they move in because the rent is cheap, but the mm-hmm. demographics support it. So you've got disposable income in the area mm-hmm. and they want that. So so coffee shops, not Starbucks necessarily, but just coffee shops, mm-hmm. libraries or community centers, mm-hmm. are they well populated? Are they well used? Have they gone through some sort of, I don't know, development? Has the city put money into that, that area, that community center? Because if they have, it's going to become an area where people start to congregate. And if they start to congregate, they start to build community. We you start to build community, mm-hmm. the community starts to be desirable. So we talk a lot about looking for community and looking for signs that community is developing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the, at least, you know, what we've looked at in Canada and and even down in the States, we look at, you know, we have Canadian investors that invest in american property but they've never set foot there so we have a lot of investors that have never gone to phoenix arizona mm-hmm. and they've bought phoenix arizona and what they look for were enclaves where do the Canadians like to rent airbnb places mm-hmm. that's where i'm going to buy because i know that there's a captured market there where people are looking so look on airbnb what's really popular mm-hmm. so these are all different and if you develop a strategy and i'm big on spreadsheets if you develop a strategy in a spreadsheet where you can actually monitor this or you're smart and you let someone else do the work and you just pay them to do the work. You know, you go to your site like yourself or we have others in Canada where they actually do these metrics for you. And you just you look at what's important to you. You're able to find the spots and the areas and the properties that actually make sense for your for your price point. Mm-hmm.
1: Since you mentioned Airbnb, I've got to ask you about the short term rental market. I don't know if you uh, know much about that market research at play in it at all. And again, this is not a database statement I'm making. It's just an impression So it's very anecdotal what I'm about to say. But I worry that that market is oversupplied. It feels like a mania. It seems like everybody's gotten into, you know, having a high-end home and putting it on Airbnb or VRBO. And when the economy shifts and vacations are an optional extra expense, I I really am concerned about that. I I would say if you're going to be in the Airbnb market and going to play in that game, number one, make that only part of your portfolio, certainly not all of it and yeah and number two skew toward the lower price range of it what are your thoughts
0: I'm 100% behind what you just said. Mm-hmm. I think it is quite scary, and we saw a lot of people, not just with Airbnb, but trying to create these luxury apartments, mm-hmm. trying to attract people to pay premium dollars. I think that's a dangerous game. It's very speculative mm-hmm. because people only have disposable income when the economy is really good or when they feel really safe and secure. And as soon as they don't, boom, what are they going to look for? Yeah. A good value property. And I'm again, it's that buy and hold long term but positive cash flow from month to month sort of philosophy. Any of the properties we've ever held or were the, the investors we've spoken to, we're not knocking the park out. We've got, you mm-hmm. know, market rent or just below to get those really quality mm-hmm. long-term tenants. Yep. Because if I don't have churn, I don't have cost. If mm-hmm. I don't have cost, I'm making money. Right. And that's,
1: me as an investor. Yeah, absolutely. The bread and butter housing, it's not sexy, but it's always in demand. You either catch people moving up, just starting out their life, a millennial that, you know, finally moved out of the house at age 32, (laughs) (laughs) and and they'll be your first renter. So anybody moving up in the economy, and you'll certainly catch people moving down in the economy during a bad cycle. People that were foreclosed on and, you know, want to rent a house for $1,200 a month or or $1,400 hundred dollars a month so uh, either way you're going to win with that give out your website and wrap it up with any closing thoughts you have
0: zolo.ca which is the zolo website or romana king.com that's my personal website a little unloved but I'm, I'm putting more effort into that because I'm mm-hmm. so busy with so many other things I guess what I'd like to wrap up on is when it comes to investing is to really understand that although it's hyper-local, we have a lot of really awesome tools that don't force us to stay in our own domestic market. Mm -hmm. We really need to take a broad perspective and understand what the good value is. I would say probably stay within North America unless you're familiar with another country outside of that. But you can really shop North America as an investor and have some really good tools to use. And you don't necessarily need to do the house down the street. There's some incredible tools that you can use, which is great because I think North American really estate, it still it has high value, even though there's a lot of players and a lot of shifting components to it.
1: Yeah, well, capital is flowing here to US and Canada, for sure. I'm glad you said that because in the old days, people were so well, I want to buy my rental properties within an hour uh, within an hour of where I live, right? That was kind of the old rule in the old days. But yeah. now you have technologies that enable things you have networks like ours that helps you do that. You know, even if you live in the best market in which to invest, you're only going to be in one market and you should diversify a little bit. We always say be in at least three markets, but not more than five, because you can kind of keep track of that in your head. So if you're going to own 10 rental properties, three to five markets, if you're going to own 100 rental properties, three to five markets, right? And I think that's very good advice, Romana. So thank you so much for joining us. Websites again. Zolo.ca and Romanaking.com. Happy investing. Thank you so much, Jason. Take care.